Hi, it's Tony Nack here from Booktopia. Plugged and Unplanned is my series, and today I have author and speaker, and probably a lot of other things, uh, Kate Christie in her new book, Me First. And you can see it behind her there on the screen. I'm not sure if we're doing a podcast, video, or both. Um, so I'm very excited to have Kate with me. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me on your show, Tony. Um, you're well rugged up because Melbourne is giving you a frosty start to the day. It sure and is. We've been plunged into autumn and it feels like winter and it's horrifying. Oh, well, it's nice to have a change of season and Melbourne is very well known for those attributes. Um, Sydney, not so cold. Weekend was cold. Just to let people know, because it depends when you're listening to us, this is uh, the beginning of May, 4th of May, so we're still very much in um, the lockdown and, and isolation of COVID. So to to launch a book right in the middle of this is either crazy, <laughs> really brilliant, um, or, um, or who knows. It's one of those things that the publishing industry has been throwing something out of left field that we didn't really have a chance to to kind of recalibrate a lot of a lot of books and yours is obviously one of them it launched on the first of april april fool's day mm. um, and uh, and so congratulations how many Thank books you. have you written kate uh, this is my fourth my fourth book but it's the first book that's with a publisher my first three i self-published mm-hmm. so yes this is my fourth book congratulations me first subtitled The Guilt-Free Guide to Prioritising You. Now, given, given the, the, the world that we live in today, surely across the planet, uh, there's going to be a lot of people, without even thinking or hearing of your book, they're going to be probably thinking those very same things, be it um, in relationships, work, um, family, um, health, um, just time you know your own time for yourself how i mean obviously you know when you started writing it you never knew that this was going to happen when you when you realized that this was happening and you knew your book was publishing what what were your thoughts around that and i guess you know this kind of probably has a lot to do with what you speak about as well so what what were you thinking when everything started to move in that direction and knew your book was coming out Look, my, my initial reaction was a little bit of panic because I thought, oh, God, you know, everything's going to be closed and no one's going to be purchasing anything and all the media focus is going to be on COVID, rightly so. And um, so I guess I had a period or a very short period, to be honest, of panic and, and the timing's terrible and, oh, oh, my God, why is this happening to me? And then you get perspective pretty quickly after that by watching the news and seeing what's happening globally. And then I found, I guess, that it was almost fortuitous in many ways or the timing was serendipitous because all of a sudden people do have a little bit of time to reflect and reframe and isolation where we're forced to be in uh, quarantine and maybe with our families or without our families, but certainly removing some of the busyness of our lifestyles and our busy lifestyles that our kids uh, engage in and this kind of crazy rushing around we all do. It, it's a very reflective time right now. And I think that from that perspective, the timing of the book being launched could not be more perfect because 
um, I think that people do need to sit back and just slow down and reflect and think about the life they're living. Do I love this life? Is this aligned to my values? Am I enjoying this crazy business? And maybe, just maybe, it's also time for me to start putting myself first because as professional women and busy professional mums, which the book is primarily focused at, but it's focused at, at working parents, we are very selfless and we don't do enough for ourselves. Everybody else comes first. And I think that this is a, an important time to perhaps reflect on that. Mm. Mm. I mean, to me, it's just, it's just like, um, I mean, I understand it's a book that's, it's, it's not like, it's out today and everyone's going to go crazy and go, I need to read this book now. It's, it's going to be relevant for the years to come. And, and the fact that it came out in the middle of COVID, most people are kind of distracted, I guess, reading the news, the shock of it all. Can you believe what we're going through? It feels like we're in a science fiction movie. Mm -hmm. And, and so after we've kind of gone through all of that and everyone gets to re, you know, personally regroup and I guess regroup within their families, these kind of, um, this this kind of um, I guess not the book but the the thoughts behind it and potentially some of the decisions that sit behind some of the things that you discuss are going to be um, it's got, this is going to be really helpful and relevant um, you've obviously been speaking about this for a while what what are some of the examples that you've seen in people's lives whether they've I don't know whether it's been they felt completely unburdened you know by making a decision uh, more time, uh, more relaxed. What? Give us some of the things that you've heard as you've spoken to people and then they've given you feedback over time. What's made a difference? Look, it, particularly at the moment with, say, COVID, um, most of my work um, around time management and productivity and teaching people how to live that life that's aligned to their values and understanding how they can be more productive at work and so forth, that's all now gone online. So all of my clients that I'm working with, I'm training their people and their staff and leaders around how to be more productive working from home. And we're doing, having those that engagement, that discussion online. And one of the things that is really, um, really evident to me right now at the moment is how people do have more time. They have removed things like the commute, this sense of busyness and rushing around constantly. Also, by not being in the office or an office space, what the feedback I'm getting is that interruptions have dramatically reduced. So people are actually getting work done and they're able to have focused periods of work at home where they can also be more strategic and think about the future and future plan their career, future plan what they want to do with their families and their goals and people don't often take the time to think about those things they live we live very reactively because we're so busy and so this has allowed people to actually take some time out and think well how do I want to live post-COVID and there's a lot of discussion around that certainly in my community and with my clients and I think it's brilliant because I don't want any of us to return to BAU you know, we have to redesign this for ourselves now. This is BAU version two. And we have a huge opportunity to say, well, how that's going to work for us individually, but also for our teams, for our workplace. You know, now is the time to be thinking about this. Yeah. So if I, 
if I look at your book then, and I kind of open up at the the chapters and the, or the parts, so the mistakes we make, part one, part two, the five SMART steps. SMART, obviously, an acronym for various things, given it's in capital letters. And part three, how about a little bonus? So you, you talk about some of the syndromes that people might have, uh, judgment and guilt. Um, my partner is the problem. Um, you know, things like that. So, <laughs> you know, like if um, I don't want to give too much away because, um, you know, I want people obviously to buy your book um, or engage you in some way. Maybe it's not, maybe it's simply for a speaking engagement when we all get back, or maybe it's a, a teleconference to a company when everyone's working from home. Um, great timing to do those kind of things. But is there, is there some things in here, some insights that you want to cherry pick and, and share so that people get an idea of, you know, what your message is and, and how practical it's going to be for, for people if they were to use it, read it and use it and, and apply it in their lives. Yeah, sure. So, so part one really just it's it's lifting the lid on 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 some of the crazy kind of thoughts or beliefs that busy working women in, indulge in, and things like imposter syndrome and constantly saying yes, and and it provides solutions to that in terms of well, here's how to get over imposter syndrome. Here's how to start saying no. Here's how to get your kids to do stuff around the house. So. It, it, it debunks some of those myths. Uh, part two is the five smart steps, and it takes you through my framework, which will actually allow you to learn or, or teaches you how to get back 30 plus hours of lost time a month. We all have the capacity to reframe and get our time back. Um, it's None of this is kind of rocket science, Tony. It's not like I'm going to win the Pulitzer Prize with any of this, but what it, it does is it takes the legwork out of it for busy people because you just don't have time to reframe this yourself. So there's five steps. If you follow the five steps, you will get back 30 hours of lost time a month. And then part three is around setting really audacious goals. How do you set goals for that 30 hours? Because I don't want to get Tony Nash back 30 hours of lost time a month and then have him spend that time sending another 400 emails you know, or putting on five loads of washing or, you know, cleaning the house. I want you to use that time to set some awesome audacious goals for the next five years so that you can then smash that out, take your success to the next level, live this really awesome life that you've designed for yourself and your family. So it's it's really, you know, step one, let's get rid of the myths. Let's kind of clean out the cobwebs that are getting in your way. Step two, let me get you back 30 hours of lost time a month. And step three is now how are you going to use it? Interesting. So if you were to then, you probably got, um, you probably got real data, but you've also got anecdotal data as well. Of all, like if you think about 30 hours of people's time, what's the, what's the most that we wasted on? Like, like if you were to, <laughs> Give me the pie chart of, of, oh, I really do. Like, is it just simply watching too much TV? Is it fuffing around on, you know, reading about COVID um, you know, at the moment? Is it like, where, where do we mostly, where do you see us mostly wasting our time? So at, 
at, on the work front, there's two ways we mostly waste our time. The first is by allowing interruptions. As professionals, we're interrupted around every eight minutes. And each time we're interrupted, it takes us up to 23 minutes to refocus on the task we were interrupted from. Wow. On average, we take on two different tasks before we return to that task we were working on, which is most likely the most important task we had for the day. So if you, you start looking at the maths and the data around interruptions, they are killing your productivity. And you'd know this yourself and with your team, you know, think about how many times you say, oh, I love it when I get into the office early because I get work done. Or I, I love working back late because everyone's gone and I actually get some work done. Or the days I work from home, I get so much work done. So, you know, we, we you know, modern kind of businesses and, and we have these sort of um, co-working spaces where um, everything's open plan. And, and, you know, yes, collaboration's good, but we don't need to be collaborating the whole time. So interruptions are absolutely killing productivity at work. The second way we lose a lot of time at work is more of a self-discipline around multitasking. So when we multitask, um, we're basically forcing or, or, you know, switching tasks. We're forcing our brain to jump from one task to a different task back to another task. So you, you're constantly asking your brain to refocus and reframe. And that could be as simple as having multiple screens open on your desk it could be having your emails popping into the corner of your, your screen all day as you're working. That's multitasking. And when we multitask, our productivity goes down by up to 40%, uh, which is the equivalent of losing 10 IQ points. So if you're doing that all day, every day, allowing interruptions, having your phone buzzing in your pocket, um, having multiple screens open, toggling between multiple tasks, then at best, you're only working to 60% of your productivity. So they're the two massive ones at work. Mm. On the home front, I would say the biggest time killer is as parents, uh, particularly as mums, um, as high-achieving women who perhaps are, you know, at the top or the peak of their career uh, professionally. At home, we are overcompensating and doing too much for our kids. So you know, we're these busy women and they come home and they do everything because it's kind of like this guilt thing where they're sort of making up for lost time, if you like. And we need to, you know, family's a team sport. You've got to get your kids doing stuff. And they're, you know, generations of, of very entitled little kids who have everything and every device known to man. And we need to kind of harness their energy and their spirit and actually get them doing stuff around the house, you know, clean your room, clean your floor drobe, put all your crap away, um, put your toys away, put your iPads away, put your dirty washing in the washing machine. Here's how to use the washing machine. You know, we need to actually upskill our kids on home tasks and home chores. I call it insourcing. It's the opposite of outsourcing. So outsourcing is where you identify everything that you do for your family that you're prepared to pay an expert to do because they will do it faster, better, and cheaper than you, so a cleaner. Insourcing is where you identify everything you do for the people that you live with that they can do for themselves that you don't have to pay them for, insourcing. So we've got to get our kids insourcing because we're losing a lot of time on the home front. So that's interesting. So to be super clear, and one of the things I like about selling books 
um, is um, that the reality and the expectation are, are um, as close as they can be, or even that the reality, that the, the expectation and the reality far exceeded what you expected. So you, you don't want to sell a book. You don't want to, you don't want to end up in a relationship. You don't want to end up in a job where your expectation was this, but the reality was this. To, to be super clear then around your book, and you talk about families, and we've got um, teenagers, a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old, so in, you're, you hit it right on the head in terms of getting kids, um, teenagers in particular, to um, do their bits and, 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 and learning how to, how to do the washing and bake and all the other things which we can really address while we're doing isolation. But is it really this book mostly for families? Like, or if you're a, a single woman who's who who's you know got her own life and probably easier to prioritize, is it is, it, is your book less relevant, um, or um, is there is it still relevant for for single men and women um, who who are out there looking to get get more out of their lives? Yes, yeah, sure. So. It is primarily for for women, but men will definitely get um, information and content out of it, and and can easily follow the same framework and easily follow the goal setting framework. Mm-hmm. The families of team sport is really just one section of the book, so mm-hmm. it's as relevant for single women uh, who are working professionally looking to reframe their relationship with time. Because I mean, even at work, that that concept of insourcing is super important as well. So, um, in my role as the CEO, I of course got you know there's 260 people working here, uh, probably more at the moment because we're super busy. But um, making sure that everyone is empowered to get on with it and do what they need to do, it's still important to understand that that idea is it's just like oh god, you know. Um, it's too much. It's too difficult to try and train them or tell them. I'll just do it myself. Mm-hmm. Be it in the work or at home. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, home obviously is more having, especially having teenagers. It's just like, oh, you know, to do the dishwasher, to hang up the clothes, or do a load of washing. It's just like there's just too much um, um, micromanaging or oversight. But ultimately, they will get it, and then they will be able to contribute. Absolutely. And that's yeah. why you've got to start your kids young. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you've got a four and a five-year-old, it's so much easier to get them vacuuming and putting clothes away and loading the dishwasher. Because the thing is, you're not expecting a perfect job, right? When they're five years old, you're just trying to ingrain a habit. So that mm-hmm. by the time they are 14 or 15 and you tell them to vacuum, they do it without too much of a fight. But if you leave it until they're 14 or 15 before you start doing this stuff, then you, you're, you're, the task is going to be harder. So definitely you want to start your kids on insourcing as soon as possible. And, you know, it's, I, I laugh when you say, oh, God, it's easier if I do it myself because that's one of the excuses I talk about in the book, this whole, oh, it's just it's going to be easier if I do it myself. And ultimately it's not because... If you, if you actually add up how much time you spend doing the simple things for other people, uh, it adds up to hours and hours and hours of your time a year. 
So just 12 minutes a day doing something for someone else that they could do for themselves is 73 hours of your time a year. Mm. So you have to move away from this concept of, oh, God, it's easier if I do it myself because it is not. Uh, you have to take the time to upskill people, people at the office, um, your kids at home. Uh, if you don't teach people how to do the task, then you are going to be uh, – a couple of things are going to happen. Firstly, you're going to run out of time very, very quickly because you are doing everything. Um, secondly, you're going to get very, very frustrated, annoyed with the people around you because you're going to think or feel that they're incompetent and incapable of doing this stuff. But it's The problem rests with you. So you have to let this stuff go. You have to teach people how to do it. Yes, they're going to make mistakes, but that's kind of part of the learning process. Mm, yeah, I totally get that. I mean, I remember, it's funny you, when you talk about that. I did talk about it, um, a point in Booktopia's uh, journey where um, I think we were turning over around $5 million. So obviously it's many, many years ago. And, and we had about, I don't know, 12, 15 people working for us. And I, I was in contact with another guy who also had another online bookstore, and I checked in with him, and I said, "Mate, how are you going?" And he goes, "Oh, you know, terrible." I said, "Why is that?" He goes, "Oh, their revenue was two million dollars, so it was, it was getting there it was up." And I, he go, he said to me, "I've had eighteen angina attacks over the last three months," and I said. Why? What, what's going on? He goes, oh, my wife and I were working 18 hours a day, six days a week. I said, I said, how many people have you got working there? He said, we've got two casuals. I said, why don't you hire more people? And he goes, well, they never do as good a job as us. I said, exactly. They don't. But at least they're doing the work. But he just couldn't let it go. He couldn't yeah. let go of that perfection. And now Booktopia is going to turn over 170 million this year, and that he no longer they don't have an online bookstore anymore. You've got to be able to let those things he's, go. He's but, probably in hospital. This no, is he's, doing, he's doing okay, but he had to get out of the business to to for his health, for his health and and yeah, yeah stress. So it's well, that's good. one of the things I talk about uh, generally, but it's also in the book where I talk about the fact that there. Every time you choose to perform a particular task, there's four different cost lenses you need to be looking through. The first one is financial cost. Your time is money. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand what your hourly rate is and apply it to each of the tasks you're performing. So a very simple example is if your time is worth $50 an hour and you spend an hour a day on Facebook, that's $18,250 of your time a year. Is this the best use of my time? The second cost lens is opportunity cost. So there's always going to be a trade-off. If I choose to do these tasks that I could actually get someone else to do, what's my trade-off? I'm losing potentially new partnership deals. I'm losing time that I could be strategic planning, planning the business or I'm losing time on uh, winning new clients or delivery. The third cost lens is emotional cost. How do I feel about the way I'm spending my time? Do I feel frustrated? Do I feel angry? Do I feel annoyed? Um, and the third cost lens, a fourth cost lens is physical cost. Is anything that I'm doing making for pain? Now, he had to get out of the business because the physical cost was too high. What he needed to do was reframe the way he was running the business and reframe his relationship with time and understand that he needed to build a team around him because he was trying to wear way too many hats. So you, you need to understand which of those four cost lenses is most impactful for you. And that's the lens you need to look through every time you choose to perform a task.
and ask yourself, is this the best use of my time? And for him, it wasn't. Mm. Interesting. That's really good. I like that model. I like that those four. For me at the moment, it's physical. I definitely am not. I mean, I, I was um, an athlete when I was younger and now I put all my effort and energy into the business and family at the cost, the physical cost of my health. I'm still okay, but I know where I should be and could be. And so therefore, um, to, to um, recalibrate and make sure that I prioritize that um, with the hours gained is, is absolutely um, you know, been reverberating around my brain over the last two or three years. Because yeah. I've got to make sure there's no point in having a successful business if you can't, um, you know, physically run it. That's um, right. Yeah. yeah. And you need to be balanced across all of those elements. You need to be taking into account what your hourly rate is, what opportunities you're missing out on, how are you feeling about this life you're living, and physically are you doing okay? And that's mm. the discussion that I want people to have in their homes and in their workplaces and with their colleagues and their friends around reframing time. And one of the key things you need to do when you're reframing time is to stop thinking about your time as something that needs to be managed. We can't manage time. You know, time management is the biggest misnomer out there. Um, we cannot control time. We all have exactly the same amount of it. And no one can buy more or steal more, no matter how wealthy or stealthy you are. So you need to move away from this concept of time management and embrace the concept of time investment. Where is my time best invested? My time is money. I need to treat it and invest it in the same way as I would my money. It's a precious resource. So where do I invest it for the greatest possible return for myself, for my family, for my business? So we, that's the sort of the, the starting point of this whole discussion that I love to have around time is move from a time management mindset to a time investment mindset. Mm, I like really like that. So just to remind everyone, Kate Christie, that's who I'm talking to, me first. I think she's, <laughs> she's um, if we haven't already gone on to Booktopia or some other website and bought Kate's book already because of this conversation, I know you're probably feeling it like you want to, and and I encourage you to do so. Not not for the book or for for Kate. I mean, or for or for Booktopia or the publisher John Wiley. But it's simply uh, it's about you. It's about you and your uh, and having a better life. And I think um, uh, once again, as we go through COVID, we're all asking ourselves that question. Now that we've had this global earthquake around. Um, our priorities are around what's important, family, um, health, um, anything, anything to do with th that our lives touch. And the fact that we've gone through it all together, it's not just kind of, oh, yeah, it was that country or it was that continent. Mm -hmm. it's, we've all, all gone through this together. It's, it's very fascinating to see how, how we're all going to re reshape our lives, just like what you're talking about here, from from you know, from you out, from you, your family, to your colleagues, to your business, to the community, to your, to your nation. Um, and uh, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be changing in so many different ways. I mean, have you, I know that you're the, 
you do speaking, I do speaking, and this whole speaking tour is kind of um, had a pause button put on it. Are you going to have to reshape your own messaging or languaging um, now that we've all gone through this? Or do you, are you going to have so many more reference points, therefore, mm. and people are going to go, aha, or yes, I get it. How, how's that all kind of shaking out for you and, and what you do is for work? Yes, so um, great, great question. And, and I've already pivoted the business so that uh, everything I now do, I already used to coach high performers, um, uh, CEOs, C-suite um, members, uh, business owners in terms of their own time and and time investment to take their own success to the next level and all of my coaching was all online anyway so I'm sort of part of my business um, has always been built around that online world from a speaking perspective I've just pivoted and and it become and and, and shifted everything online so you know globally there is so much demand at the moment around productivity and working differently so I am um, working with a lot of businesses and clients, big business around um, productivity at home. I'm running a series of um, workshops, one uh, tonight for the uh, UK government for all small businesses or small businesses who dial in um, in the UK around productivity working from home. Um, they, when they engaged me, they'd already set the time for the webinar, which was really unfortunate, and they didn't take into account the time difference. So I think I'm going to be up at 1 a.m. Um, tomorrow morning delivering this <laughs> webinar on time. Um, so that, that's been um, a quite a fluid change for me. But coming out the other side of it, um, I think there's just so many more reference points now, and I'm sort of very passionate about making sure that businesses see that this is an opportunity to start doing things differently and to be focusing on BAU version two. So that's where I'm starting to put a bit of time, my time and energy in terms of planning out what that might look like. Um, I wrote an article about this the other day uh, for CEO World around how now is the perfect time to stop having discussions about flexibility in the workplace. You know, we have all these big businesses and they have these, you know, beautiful, shiny, glossy policies around flexibility and women with children take them up. Not many other people in the business will take them up because there is such a stigma attached to flexibility. And the data is really clear. You know, women who take on flexible roles take a pay cut, they take a career pause and it sets them back significantly. And, so a lot of men don't even dabble in the flexibility discussion because they see the impost it puts on their wives and other women. So I, I think now is the perfect time to shift the discussion away from flexibility towards productivity. Don't have a discussion with your team or with your boss about how can I work flexibly. Have a discussion about how you work most productively. And if that means working from home part of the time or all of the time, then you've now kind of, we've been in this incubator, right? It's, we've had this global experiment on this. Every single employee out there can now prove to their boss how productive they can actually work and be if they're working remotely or in a sort of a hybrid, um, you know, um, some work at home, some work in the office. And, and so let's move that discussion away from flexibility. So that's something else I'm going to be focusing on as well. Mm, interesting. 
out of curiosity, you, um, when I do my public speaking, I try and, well, I will share every single um, time I get to get in front of people to let them know that a few years ago I found out that I have ADHD. And I didn't know that until my son was diagnosed and then my wife said, uh, um, you know, I've been reading up on Google as, you know, wives, <laughs> my wife certainly does. And, and so she said, you know, I'm pretty sure you've got it as well. I said, honey, well, you were right about your stepson. So I'm going to go and speak to a psychiatrist. And I did. And he told him about what, you know, Booktopia and, the, you know, all the things that there's no way that you have ADHD. And then, uh, he said, but before I make my final decision, I, can your wife come in? I'd like to have a chat with her. And after about 20 minutes, he looked at me and he goes, you definitely have ADHD. <laughs> you so have ADHD. He goes, so what, I learned, what I learned about myself was that you know, with ADHD, you basically do what you want to do. And you really don't want to do what you don't want to do. Now, if you've got your own business, like I've been running my own company now for 24 years, it's easier to, to focus on the things you want to do. You want your business to be successful. You get really obsessed about that. You prioritize that over maybe other things. Hence, it's a bit of a, um, it's a, it's a bit of a, um, you know, like a, a super power in some, in some cases to, to accomplish a lot. I'm, I'm sure, you know, famous painters and sculptors and, and architects and whoever else in history have probably had this kind of um, superpower or obsession. Mm -hmm. um, working from home and having ADHD, uh, working um, and just in terms of just, so one of the biggest things that's interesting when I do my public speaking, m most of the time when people come up afterwards or email me or through LinkedIn, they, they'll reach out to me, they'll say it's quite often it's about mental health and it's about ADHD and it's about that I know someone or my wife or I have or whatever and it's been one of the greatest feedback um, um, kind of like the, the highest thing that I get feedback on is, is just telling people that I have it and then they go well if he's got it you know and I got it then hey maybe it's not a burden and I actually got a um, a call from someone recently who said that, you know, they, he now goes out and tells people, I, I have ADHD. And before it was a stigma and he hid it and he tried mm -hmm. to fake it. But how, so do you, some of the things that you're talking about working from home and being distracted and um, like I actually, with ADHD, I'm multitasking is actually where I really get a lot done. Mm -hmm. I need, to, like my wife goes crazy. I need to have, you know, the radio on, music on, maybe even a movie in the background while I'm working, and yeah. she could never do that because she needs to be really focused. Have, have you got any experience around that and other kind of mental health conditions or states, mental states? I don't, because as I said, I see it as a superpower. Yeah. Do you, um, do you do you make any modifications or have you got any um, experience around that? Yeah, look, I've, I've got personal experience around that. Um, my Certainly there's a, a long history of, of mental health issues in my family. Um, my One of my sons has um, OCD and has had forever. Uh, we picked it up when he was about three. Um, he's now 18, so we've had a long time to actually work with that. And um, so there's different techniques and skills from a time perspective and a productivity perspective that um, I've been able to work with him on 
And and yes, it is horses for courses. You know, there's no one size fits all with this stuff. But what it's about doing is about it's equipping yourself with the knowledge or enough strategies that you can then pick and choose the ones that really, really work for you. So, you know, when you talk about working with the radio on, and I, I do that too, I have noise constantly in the background, but it helps me focus because it's white noise. It's just, it's, it just allows me to focus. That works for me. And people will say, my God, you know, you're a time management expert. How do you get stuff done with that noise in the background? Well, that's how I've trained my brain. And I, that's the way I learned at school and I learned through university. So I'm very much one to say, well, look, um, you know, when, when we do have different conditions and mental health issues and superpowers, because they are, you know, my, my son can study for phenomenally long periods of time and absorb an incredible amount of information um, because of his OCD. So that is a superpower. Mm. And so it's about understanding that, recognising it, not feeling like it has to be treated, but working with it, understanding this works for me, so I'm going to work with it. And making no apology about that. You know, I think I'm sort of at a certain age. I turned 50 this year. Um, and it's great. It's kind of liberating. It's, I, I, you know, I, I'm very happy to sort of say, well, look, if it works, do it. If it doesn't work, don't do it. Um, if you want to be my friend, great, be my friend. You don't want to be my friend, I don't care. You know, I'm at that age where I just am confident and I back myself and I know my stuff and I'm happy to help people with it. If it works for them, great. If they don't like particular strategies, well, we'll move on to another one. There's not one size fits all when it comes to this, but if you've found a way or a mode where you um, get in the groove and get in the flow and get, get work done and churn stuff out with focus, then absolutely embrace it. Interesting. So do you often come across people, do you ever come across people, I guess, that, no, I'm going to reframe this question. It's a, is it a, a, um, horizon point that you never ever get to in terms of the work that you're talking about like because there's you, there's a there's a there's a direction but the destination because you always can re, you know reframe your 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 hours and in, invest more or you can so like you've never met any there I guess you've never met anyone that's actually hey I can't help you you're perfect you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, no just, no I haven't and this is the thing okay you could be at the absolute top of your game and and let's face it, you know, Booktopia is the perfect example, isn't it? It's this amazing business. It took on Amazon. You're the CEO. Um, everything's going great, year-on-year -year growth. Um, I, I know I can find you time. You know, I could sit down and we could work out and reframe the bad habits and put in place new habits. So that's the thing about the work that I do. And, and I'm very selective. You know, I only work with high performers because high performers know that there's more to be had and they actually do the work. When you say do these things, they'll actually do it because they can see that there's um, a, a means to an end. So, no, I've never met anyone who I think, oh, my God, that's perfect. And we're not, you're never going to. And um, because there's always something else to strive for. There's always a new goal. There's always new heights. There's always... Um, something else, you know, another higher mountain to climb for high achievers. 
And so that's where I'll help you find the time to climb the next highest mountain. I don't know whether this is true because I only heard about it once. I've never really bothered to research it. And kind of the way where I read it, it kind of made sense to me. But Bill Gates, who obviously has been hugely successful for decades now um, and has given so much uh, philanthropically and they, they say that he's, um, calendar is split up into five minute increments and he's got five or six EAs who are managing his time um, to to those five minute increments when you hear something like that and of a guy that's been hugely successful given back more than most of, you know, probably more than any ever um, and and for so many decades does that make sense to you to like is that actually when you hear someone going yeah that that would make sense for a guy at that level to have that kind of team behind him to ensure that he's as effective as he can be and uh, probably interruptions are very um, uh, very very well managed <laughs> yeah very well managed because they've got to go through so many levels of getting getting to him is that something that um, that makes sense for someone like you or does that or do you go uh, that's not how that's very unique um, when you've got that much money you can afford to put that kind of um, kind of framework in place to support to support someone of that level I hear people say you know like um, the new uh, CEO of, of um, Australia Post not so new now but Christine Holgate um, the previous CEO, Ahmed, had two EAs. And as soon as she arrived, she goes, why do you need two? You can have one. And so she got rid of one. Um, in terms of being a CEO or a leader or, or you know, senior manager, how do you feel about having that kind of support team around you to help you be more effective and prioritize your time? What, do, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think as long as you've got absolutely the right team around you, then it, it can work. In terms of Bill Gates and the way he kind of manages his diary and runs his time, he is um, phenomenally unique. And um, it, it reminds me, your story reminds me about multitasking. Um, I've done a lot of research into this and only two, just under 2.5% of the world's population can actually multitask effectively. And they're so rare, they're called supertaskers. And you put electrodes on these people's brains and you throw more and more and more tasks at them to juggle and their brains kind of settle. Um, they're, you know, super taskers for a reason. That is their superpower. For the rest of us, you know, mere mortals, we can only focus on one strategic task at a time. And so that story reminds me of that where I, I'd say that he and people like him are, that's their very unique superpower. Um I personally wouldn't want to live my life and invest my time that way. It, it, it strikes me as being, you know, very manic, very scripted, um, quite exhausting by the sound of it. Um, having said that, as a leader and a CEO, you do need a team of people around you that um, either plug the gaps in terms of your own capability or capacity or who can run interference. 
um, you know, the gatekeepers, so to speak. So absolutely, you need to have an incredibly organized EA or PA or, or sweet office manager or people around you that um, can, you know, run your diary and keep you on time and keep you on track and run interference for you. Um, I don't think you need five. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you were Bill Gates, then, you know, maybe you need 55. Mm, interesting. I'll, I'm a very mathematical person. Um, I love going through my financial statements and I love to, in I built the algorithms for Booktopia for the ordering and stock and things like that. So math. So when you start rattling off, uh, you know, $50 an hour on Facebook as X and this, like, that just resonates with me spectacularly. My wife would just go, uh, you know, like, whatever. She's not, she's not that way inclined. Um, it, she doesn't think in numerically like that. Um, to help, like, there's 24 hours a day, um, 168 hours a week. So, um, to, to, come up with a number that your time is worth. Is that an important process? I mean, given that you're saying it's time investment. So if you say, well, you know, sleep is $100 an hour. So $800, but it's for some people, they're going to go, yeah, I just earned $800. But they know that that's just kind of, it's just a stupid made up number that um, just because I'm, I'm making $5,600 a week or over a quarter million dollars a year in sleep. But is that, is that even worth doing? Is there something that I'm missing there that you can see or you can shed some light on for us about that process? Because no one will ever be able to cash that in other than do you feel like a million dollars a month kind of mm -hmm. um, yeah. because you've got, you had that much sleep. Yeah. Uh, just, so the, the, the easy answer or the simple answer to it is that not all time is created equal. So you have to sleep. You have to nourish yourself. You have to um, look after your health and exercise or else you're going to get sick. So when it comes to where am I going to invest my time, the financial cost lens is just one of the four you need to look through. So the other is opportunity cost, then there's emotional cost, there's physical cost. So, you know, if my time was worth $1,000 an hour and um, I had the opportunity to spend a really awesome hour with my kids doing something ace that they love me, I love them, no one's fighting, then for me that's worth the trade-off. That's an opportunity cost where I think I'd rather be with my kids. And it comes down to values as well, Tony. So it's about understanding exactly um, what your values are so that you can make sure that you are living those values. And what I mean by that is when I talk about values and understanding that it's not the kind of what I call the vanilla values, like honesty, integrity, you know, we've all got those, hopefully. I'm talking about where do you actually want to spend your time? What would you, if you were lying in bed as sick as you've been, what would you get out of bed for? And you need to understand what those things are. So for me, I would get out of bed for my kids, anything to do with being or helping or loving my kids and my business. That's it. So I've distilled it down to two things, my kids and my business. Because when you have absolute clarity 
over where you want to spend your time, it makes it really easy to say no to everything else. That just becomes white noise. Now, on top of that, obviously, to be able to get out of bed for my kids and my business, I need to be, I need to sleep, I need to be refreshed, I need to be healthy. So those things will happen. I make time for them. That's about me first. I lock time into my calendar to exercise every day because I want to be at my best. So you have to look through all those different lenses to make the right decision about where you're going to invest your time at any given time. It's not just the financial lens. Mm. Interesting. You know how, um, like if you think about that you're a time, a time expert and the use of time. And there's books out there. There's a, a lady, Japanese lady, who's done very well with one of her books around space and feng shui. And how do you, how do you um, entertain the idea of your physical space as well? So um, when you sit down in your office or when you look at your home, um, is it important to have the physical space, um, per, not perfect, but perfect for you? Um, do you think of that as a as a an extension of your physical body, which is one of your the four key things to focus on? How do you yeah. how do you think how do you you know having your car clean versus really dirty? Having your <laughs> um, having your clothes impeccably ironed or um, your you know, your fridge only in having fresh produce or just yeah. anything like that how do you, how does that then fit in is it do you, do you does it naturally become a priority for you when you go through time management or time investment personally no <laughs> um, i i guess my focus is all on um, decluttering your mind not decluttering your space mm-hmm. so if decluttering your mind for you as an individual means that you need to have a clean office and a beautifully aligned fridge and clothes sorted out, then yes, for you, you know, you need to embrace it because that's part of the process for you because it's what's important. It's it's sort of one of those kind of underlying values. Um, I don't align them. I don't feel, I wouldn't ex- take my, the work I do, I don't extend that into the physical space unless I know it's important for the person who I'm working with because if it's important for them, we have to get it sorted so that they can then unclutter their brain. Mm-hmm. But I'm very, very much about this is all around decluttering your brain and your headspace and reframing your time so you've got time to do the things you love. And if that's cleaning or tidying or decluttering, you know, knock yourself out. Um, for me personally, no. You know, I'd rather go for a run or read a great book. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So before our time is coming to close to an end, is there anything about um, your book that you wanted to or about the work that you do that you wanted to um, share with us um, on this recording today to to leave us with, to ponder, to consider, to challenge, whatever, whatever you, when it comes to mind. Yeah, I, I think it's the, the the key thing I want to leave you with is uh, there. There's a number of amazing women that I interviewed as part of writing the book. Uh, women globally uh, at the absolute top of their game. Um, some incredible women. And I share their stories. I share their 
insights, I share their doubts, I share their struggle with the myths, you know, the imposter syndrome, you know, when you've got these amazing women sharing the fact that they sometimes feel like they're imposters, I think it's really empowering. And I guess the thought I want to leave people with and potential readers with is that, you know, as a busy working parent, as busy working mums, um, you're not alone. We kind of all go through this. And it honestly is time just to take the foot off the guilt pedal in the car and just start reframing and reprioritizing and putting yourself first because that's going to allow you to be the best possible person you can be, which means you're going to turn up as the best mum and the best professional um, because you feel like you're the best you. That's a good point. It's, it's, um, I've done training with a lot of different people over the years and one of the guys that I, I did um, training with was a guy called Robert Kiyosaki who wrote the book Rich Dad Poor Dad mm-hmm. and, and he always says that uh, and he talk, he's talking about investing, he's talking about finance amongst many other things but he says the biggest ROI, the biggest return on investing, investment you can ever get is investing in yourself. You'll never get a bigger return than educating yourself, um, reframing your, your thinking, whatever it may be. And it sounds like, Kate, that what you've written here in your book, Me First, it's exactly spot on. And I think uh, for any woman or man or any, any perhaps any bloke that's supporting a woman who's really trying to manifest as much as she can in her life so you can better support her, then this is going to be a good book to read. And it's not not too thick. Don't freak out. You're going to, the time, the time is not, it's not that taxing. You're going to get through it really easily. So do yourself a favor, as Molly Meldrum used to say, buy this book, <laughs> invest in yourself. And we look forward to hearing how your life has been empowered. Thank you, Kate, for joining us today on Plugged and Unplanned. And and we wish you well with every success. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. It was great. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.